Mini episode 1133 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge, mini-episode number 1133. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here. And today we've got one of my good friends in the lounge, longtime FDH Lounge dignitary, Jake Digman, also MMA editor at the old FDH brand. And uh, we are breaking down the huge heavyweight title fight, uh, maybe the biggest of all time, some would say, but uh, the, the second go-round for... Stipe Miocic, Cleveland's own, and Daniel Cormier, uh, Miocic at Cormier 2 in Anaheim, and uh, what a huge, huge fight it was, redemption, Stipe brings the World Heavyweight Championship home to Cleveland, and of course, uh, again, as we covered previously, uh, Jake Digman, a longtime personal ring announcer for Stipe, and good friend, we covered in mini-episode 732, so exactly 401 mini-episodes ago, the journey of Stipe Miocic as seen through the eyes of Jake Digman, going from the early beginnings at NAAFS all the way to the UFC World Heavyweight Championship for the first time. And so we bring Jake back on for the second heavyweight title run that Stipe has started. Jake, always a pleasure, my man. Great to have you here. Always a pleasure to talk Stipe with you as well. Oh, thanks for having me, Rick. It's always a pleasure to come hang out in the lounge. Yes, uh, we love to have you, and uh, again, you are one of our longest-running FDH Lounge dignitaries all the way back to our shared days at the old Sports Talk Network, uh, from which, of course, sprung NAAFS at that point in time, the old intersection that there used to be back then, and as I say, 401 mini-episodes ago, we covered uh, Stipe's journey leading up to that. Uh, you told a great story of what it was like uh, being his friend, being a co-worker in the NAAFS promotion, and everything that, uh, that you saw in the formative years of Stipe's career. Uh, subsequent to when we recorded that, a little bit over three years ago, you, you go through uh, Stipe ultimately losing the title last year, something that a lot of us saw as being tainted because of the eye pokes of Daniel Cormier, eye pokes that, of course, were present again this past weekend at the fight. Uh, although this is one of these things where, much like Rich Carlos's quote-unquote game-winning field goal in the drive game between the Browns and the Broncos, nobody outside of Cleveland ever seems to notice that the field goal wasn't actually good. Nobody outside of Cleveland tends to notice the eye pokes, but guys like me and you pick up on that, Jake. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, it actually got noticed, too, by quite a lot of people. Okay. There was a, a couple of cartoon little, little animated videos online that were uh, making references to it, and um, I can tell you, Steve, I reckon, I noticed it for darn sure, and uh, he, he had an answer back for those eye folks in this thing, liver said- shots. Oh, he did, he did. We're going we're gonna to get to that. It was a thing where... This fight, uh, and, and the, the journey that Stipe went on, it was really, really, really unique because this is a fight, and again, I'm, I'm somebody who, uh, as we've covered numerous, numerous times on this show, I'm very fond of 
cross-sport comparisons, cross-sport analogies. You look at Ali's big trilogy of fights that had nicknames to him, whether it was the fight of the century with Joe Frazier in 71, whether it was uh, the Rumble in the Jungle with, Jungle with Foreman in uh, 74, Thrill in Manila, the third of the three Frazier fights in 75, and uh, there were characteristics from some of those fights that were present in this one. Uh, and uh, again, it, uh, most, least, uh, most of all, I'm thinking in terms of Ali, whether it be the rumble in the jungle, the way that he just sort of outlasted Foreman with, with the whole kind of letting him punch himself out kind of a thing there. This wasn't exactly what Stipe did. I mean, he wasn't intentionally trying to tire Cormier by, by taking the punishment early on. But it was an adjustment that he made, much like, I guess, some of the adjustments that Ali made that allowed him to outlast Joe Frazier by the skin of his teeth in the Philippines in 75. But the adjustments that he made, I mean, this is a thing where, again, I get the sense in the MMA world that we're going to remember this fight the way that a lot of people remember Ali's biggest fights uh, in, in terms of the story that was told between the two competitors, two legends in, in the heavyweight ranks. Do you kind of get the same sense that this is one that they're going to be talking about like 50 years from now as far as two greats at the pinnacle of their abilities and then the chess match back and forth? I'm going to leave after Saturday night. That's when the rest of the world finally took notice that the greatest heavyweight of all time is you. I, I don't even know how it could be within question at this point, especially when you look at uh, what DC's resume was coming into this. Yes. Now, someone could say, oh, it's one and one, and they have to have a third fight. No, they don't. No. DC <laughs> no. No. himself said nine times out of ten, Stipe wins. Yeah. And I think we would agree with that based on the adjustments that Stipe made, based on the absence of the eye pokes being as decisive this time around as they were in the first fight. And this is a thing where, again, what I want to ask you about, because you have a very, very, very unique perch as somebody who both uh, is an expert on MMA and as well as somebody who is as personally invested. I mean, I'm like a lot of people from Cleveland. I root for the guy because he's from Cleveland. I root for him because he's a friend of a friend. But the personal investment that you have in his journey and in watching this, what he went through in the first two rounds, especially the first round, I mean, I'm sitting there watching it, and, and I'm just dying. I'm just like, oh, no, oh, this is awful, oh, no. Because I heard Chael Sonnen a couple days before the fight speculating that he thought that uh, Stipe's layoff from being in a fight like this was maybe going to hurt him. And I don't know that I necessarily had the sense that that was the case. But things didn't look right early on. So, I mean, I'm just, I, I'm feeling nothing but doom as I'm watching this. What was it like for you? Did, did you have still any kind of sense of optimism at that point, or were you thinking he's screwed? Every time any of my friends say, I'm nervous until they win. I think it all takes us one shot, one thing for them to lose. So, every single time I watch somebody that I know personally, and, 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 and whether it's in the UFC or it's at a local show, that happens, it's like that, there's that gut feeling in your stomach because you know in the sport anything can happen, as happened last fight, the three, the first fight with DC. It just takes that one shot, and then that, that pit of your stomach goes oh, and goes out. And it's like when I watch um, last week, I don't feel like everything is bad. If this makes any sense, like it's sitting in the pit of my stomach, mm-hmm. you know, that, that not feeling of dread, but that like, oh, and it's like it goes one of two ways. It either drops out, they lose, or when they win, it's just like, like it was Saturday night, where it was just like absolute pure elation, and you're just like, oh my god, I don't think, it's never a matter of not believing in them, 
Uh-huh. And just knowing the sport and knowing that anything can happen. And it's like, oh crap. And especially on a level like this. Like, for example, the uh, the Jessica Ives title fight. Sure. Where it was, oh, oh man. And then, you know, Nick dropped out. And the next thing's like, okay, get back up. Get back yeah. in there, you know. Are you okay? Are you going to be all right? Um, so it's really like a tale of two perspectives, tale of two different outcomes. And it's two different emotions. But man, is it so much more fun, that elation, when that's said and done. Where it's, like, it's almost like riding a ride in an amusement park. Yeah. <laughs> just like, am I going to puke or am I going to scream for joy? It's a lot more fun to scream for joy than it is to throw up after you get off the ride. It really is, and again, I, I was I was immediately thinking of you on this here, and uh, just feeling good for how much how, how good you must feel with your friend being restored to his rightful place in the world. And it's funny you mentioned about Jessica I because I go back to I, I had a similar kind of experience watching that first round. I went I go back a couple of years ago. Being at your birthday party, we were watching her fight on national TV. It was on Fox. I think it was against Misha Tate. And that was a thing yeah. where, yeah, we kept we kept yelling for her and get up and get out of it. And, but it was just, I'll speak for myself, just a sense of doom watching it. Like, oh, this is not going to end well. And uh, she took it to a decision and lost on the scorecard, so she didn't get knocked out. But, uh, again, her fate was pretty much Sometimes sealed. Sometimes that's worse. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of the Ninja. Do you remember the OG Ninja Turtles movie? Yeah. Ninja kick the damn rabbit. Do something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm going right past you. Yeah. And there, there can be a real agony seeing it go to the scorecards. And uh, again, it's really, really interesting the stuff that comes out after the fight because. Again, I think we were on a trajectory where if it went to the scorecards, I don't think it was going to end well for Stipe because he would have clearly taken the fourth round and maybe would have taken the fifth. It just goes to whether you think Daniel Cormier swept the first three rounds or not, and I understand the judges' scorecards might not have reflected that, but I I sure thought that Cormier pretty much had a strong edge going into the back half of the fight. So it's really interesting to me that Cormier seemed to be the one questioning about where he was on points uh, versus I would have thought he would have been the one that felt secure, and I would have thought that Stipe would have been the one thinking, i got to end this thing. Well, one thing I've learned um, in my many years in this, uh, being involved in MMA is that this, um, you never know what those judges are going to see. Right. <laughs> it's not like boxing where there's like, you know, an actual science to it. Like, okay, right. this many punches were thrown, this many punches were landed for this much damage. In MMA, it's like it's all, I mean, it's gotten better over the years, but I think because of that pre-existing condition where a lot of fighters in the back of their mind are like, um, I can't make this go to the, you know, I can't make this go to the scorecards. Um, because, you, again, you don't know how they're going to see it. On the topic you mentioned of um, DC and, like, Stephen uh, having to push the force, to push the pressure, because you felt that, uh, in your opinion, and a lot of people, that DC was up on the scorecards. Greg Kalikas used to say back in the PKW days, way back when I first started, first mm-hmm. started learning about mixed martial arts and everything. And he was like, they have to, um, you should always have to beat the champion. Like, if it's a close fight, right. you need to beat the champion, you need to survive with the champion. Like, you should always have to definitively beat the champion. And I'm kind of, I mean, that's a pro wrestler in me, but I kind of agree, a pro wrestler fan in me, I guess. I've never wrestled a match. But um, <laughs> I, guess, uh, I kind of, uh, I just kind of see that aspect uh, of it. Well, like, you know, you shouldn't have to beat the champion. And there's, there's a statement that's made. Um, when you do it, especially the way that Stipe did uh, Saturday night, capping off, which was, by the way, one of the best UFC uh, 
I've seen in a long, long time, top to bottom. Um, just from the beginning all the way to the end. And there's uh, one other thing I want to bring up real quick, too. Sure. We'll circle back to Steve Bay. Yeah. Um, got, this is actually a really cool story that I think the listeners will appreciate. The other aspect was on the undercard of this fight, uh, of this event, was Devontae Smith, who is from NAAFS and RFO fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, Devontae fought one of the best fights I've ever seen in my life against John Gunther. He had two opponents drop out the week before the fight. Four days before the fight, comma, the Death Star worthy out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, another NAAFS and RFO and Pinnacle Fight Championship. who has been around the local scene forever. Super cool dude, super friend. Um, on Monday, he was working his day job, going to the gym, and by Saturday night, he had knocked out and Devontae Smith to get to earn a UFC contract and also to earn a $50,000 performance bonus. Sure, Steve A, his panels have been you know released out there, and I'm not discrediting him, and I'm happy for the champ, and he got a performance bonus of sure. $50,000 along with the pay-per-view money, but it just, it's, it just inspires me that and both my friends have been Kama is the ultimate fighting machine with uh, moves worthy of a godfather. So. Uh, yeah, 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 I see what you did there. Pippin ain't easy, brother. Yeah, ain't easy. Yeah. I knew you'd enjoy that. You know what? Those are always cool stories. What that is similar to is another one of our FDH Lounge dignitaries, good friends, Anthony and Matt Patrone, a uh, good friend of theirs, uh, is a guy who's driven a lot of uh, race car circuits here in the Midwest. He actually got a chance to fill in at the, Infi- at the uh, Xfinity race at Mid-Ohio. So to actually get to race uh, on, on one of the NASCAR stages uh, when you're a journeyman race car driver, those are always cool stories. I'm always very happy to hear about those kind of things, get to hear people living their dream. And I want to get back to what you were talking about, money and opportunities in that momentarily. One more question to ask about the fight, and that is, if you think Cormier is being a little too hard on himself in terms of not making the adjustments as far as getting back in there and trying to take down Stipe again, because I look at it like, uh, I, I think similar to what Chael Sonnen has said, that Stipe wasn't really affording him the opportunity with the jab. With the adjustment that Stipe made, he was keeping him at bay, I don't think Cormier had the ability to get in there and do takedowns. It's not just that he got away from it strategically. I don't think he could have if he tried. What do you think? Um, I absolutely agree with you because if you recall in the fight, he actually did have a takedown that really, uh, really weird. He lifted him up over his head, and I thought he was going for the uh, whatever it was called, like the, uh, the kryptonite crunch of WWE or, yeah. or you know, like white noise that Seamus does. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, he, he should have thought about that, maybe. I, I thought with uh, with what looked like it was going to be some head-dropping there, I thought maybe New Japan Pro Wrestling had hacked the uh, broadcast here for a second. Because, uh, you know, yeah, you were expecting it to be one of those type deals. But in terms of money and opportunity and these things here uh, going forward, again, yet another shame as far as Stipe having to take a back seat on the payday here. Out of Cormier. I understand Cormier was the champ, but it's not like Stipe was ever getting dollars bestowed at his feet uh, when he was on top. So you look at this, and yes, there is still opportunity to be made in that regard, but he's already proven, as you and I have said and a lot of other pundits out there, the greatest of all time as far as the heavyweights go. If you look at his resume, if you look at who he's beaten in what has been a golden era of heavyweights, he stands alone at this point in time here. So this is a thing where... A question that I get from some people who are, are more casual MMA fans in this town who like Stipe, find him to be likable, and just want him to be like okay health-wise going into his future. Like, When do you say is enough is enough? Because he took a lot of uh, punishment the other night with things like CTE. I understand these are things we don't want to think about, but this has to weigh into his calculus going forward, what he's going to be like in his older age and everything like that. He's already proven he's the greatest of all time. Yes, there's still some big money paydays to be made. But, uh, again, how how would you kind of see that shaking out as far as the decision of how long to keep going? Um, At this point, the only, again, that's a bit of the business side of things on this, uh, I guess it's strictly my opinion, is right now if I'm his gym, uh, Walter and Marcus and his camp and everybody, um, I'm sure sure they're all looking at this the same way. Jones, I guess, if he wants to uh, come exactly. up and fight him. That's the only one that I can think of is Bones Jones. Yeah. Off the top of my head. Yeah, and that's... Uh, now, that's again, that's there's a lot of people saying Naganu though, because he has been on another indestructible tear since the first Stipe fight, but there's still the burden of proof of what are you going to do to beat Stipe when he took you apart the first time? Right. And, what, and, and here's the other thing, too. What does Stipe gain by taking that fight? Nothing. It's, it's not like you, you know, it's like it's different from the DC fight because DC beat the champ. Right. So the champ, you know, is getting his opportunity to, for a rematch. Right. He definitively beat Nagano. Right. Now, I mean, and, and nothing has changed to show that it would, like, at this stage, Steve had just turned 37, or actually the same age. He's actually, like, a couple weeks. He's a fellow Leo. He's a couple weeks younger than me. Mm-hmm. We, used to, we used to celebrate birthdays back in the day. <laughs> 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 During the old rock and roll days. That's um, right. Actually, his birthday was the day after he won the title. Which yes. Is cool. That is cool. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, he's got a wife. He's got a wife. He's got a beautiful daughter. Um, got a full-time job as a firefighter. Uh-huh. Which, uh, the fact that they have, still haven't exploited that is amazing. Right. I mean, they have, but not as well as they should have. Like he should be like out there on like the UFC should have him out there with like you know doing first responders appearances and stuff like that. People yeah. would gobble that stuff up. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So it is I, at this stage in his where he's at. I think and he's, he's thirty-seven. 
it's not a, you know, this isn't an old man's sport. I mean, unless you fight for Bellator. Hey, yeah. you know. Yeah, so, I mean, it's the Bones Jones fight is really the only money matchup mm-hmm. that will get a huge pay per view draw right now that I personally that I see. And then, you know, after that, I, I mean, it depends on how long he wants to go. Right. You know, he has that fight. I mean, if he has that fight and he wins that fight, what's left? Yeah. There's literally nothing left. He's always going to go beat up Conor McGregor. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I'd like to see it. That'd be cool so to see. To see who? That'd be cool to see him uh, womp on Conor McGregor, but that's not in the uh, stars, I'm afraid. That'll never happen. <laughs> right. Right. So that, that's just, you know, I think we've reached a point now where it's like, okay, see what they have and who they're building and go back to the renegotiation table, renegotiate, get the most... If he isn't paid more than his opponent as a champion this time around, it's, it just shows the amount of disrespect that the organization has. Yep. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to bring this all the way around by just reinforcing that point there and about what I will call the flat-out incompetence of the marketing of UFC, this notion of, oh, well, Stipe just isn't as marketable as some of these other guys. You can't do something with a real-life Rocky. You can't do something with a guy who's a fireman, who's an everyman, who's a man of the people. Uh, parents were uh, immigrants. You, you can't do something with that story. This is shades of the NHL when they couldn't do anything with the Sedin twins, who are probably the most unique superstar tandem in the history of pro sports. I mean, this, this is why the, these organizations can't break out of where they're at to another level. UFC looked like they were going to do it a couple of years ago, and then, you know, they've pretty much run out of big marquee fights like this one. Uh, they, they used to have marquee fights on a more regular basis, and uh, again, if, yeah, if, if you can't figure out what to do with Stipe, you're stupid. I'm sorry. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. And I bet, you know, hopefully this time around they uh, figure out what they're going to do with him. But for right now, it's just nice to see that belt back home where, where it belongs and him uh, um, chillaxing and you know, taking some time off. And um, question for you. Yes. What do you think next for D.C.? Very interesting. Uh, I think, and I hadn't heard the comment that he made that you relayed uh, there about how often Stipe would have won that fight. If he thinks that, I think it will be retirement at this point because I don't see him taking another fight just to take a fight. The, uh, the, The Lesnar thing is off the table. Bones Jones, eh, if it's a big enough payday maybe, but, uh, if, if, for, if for, 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 nah, nah, and you know, for if if he made that kind of a defeatist statement about beating Stipe, then I think he's done. I could see, uh, I could possibly see DC being the next one to make the jump over to the WWE for a big time match with Brock Lesnar. Now that, yeah, that. yeah, now that is I a possibility. Them, I could see them setting up something. Well, there was the uh, there was the possibility that uh, he was possibly you know maybe going to be a, a commentator on SmackDown that uh, Fox wanted him to be, and that uh, maybe that could be a jumping off point. Although, my God, I don't know how you'd get by without having Byron Saxton in the booth. <laughs> Dang it! <laughs> we'll have to see how that all sorts out. But uh, as always. A pleasure, Jake Digman. Great to have you in to talk about uh, Stipe. Thank you for sharing your perspectives on this momentous occasion of Stipe bringing the World Heavyweight Championship back home where it belongs for a second time. Can I, uh, can I, can I do... Uh, yes. 
Go for it. What, 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 are, you doing on, what are you doing on September 21st? <laughs> I don't know off the top of my head. Up in Euclid at the old Euclid Sports Plant. Remember that? Yes. <laughs> Back in the day? Yes. Uh, to the, yep, at the Euclid, Euclid Sports Plant. Um, strong style fighters. The state Steve Miller, I believe, is on the card. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple other guys from uh, strong style on the card. Cody Stevens, as well as Bob, uh, Bob Marshall, the promoters. Really good guys. I worked on my show. And uh, it's in Cleveland, about 15 minutes from champ's house so you never know who may or may not show up at that show on the 21st and you but i'm just throwing that out there all <laughs> right any promises but you know a bunch of uh, a bunch of the champs boys are from there well interesting like champ uh, a lot of like to pop in at local so september 21st you can see me ringing out uh, it's been a little while since I did that. It's still got it, though. Ladies and gentlemen, in the corner, please welcome Radio Morris. Yeah, still got it. <laughs> <laughs> Euclid <laughs> Sports Plant. All right, September 21st. Plant, uh, September 21st, Saturday, September 21st. Visit, uh, here on Facebook, BCM Promotions. There'll be ticket information on there uh, for all the ticket and information. And uh, you never know who's going to show up. Excellent, excellent. Well, you've uh, you've really interested me in that. That sounds like something I want to check out. Hopefully, uh, enough of our listeners out there can check that out as well. And uh, what a uh, what a boost for Strong Style in terms of not just Stipe's win, but how it happened. He's been really strongly in the post-fight interviews, putting over his coaches for helping him to make the adjustments there. So uh, those guys, I think, justifiably so, basking in the worldwide acclaim. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Marcus, Pablo, Alex, Bob, and all those guys deserve, I mean, they're one of the best, if not the best teams in all of the sport. Yes. Hands down, I really don't care what it is at this point. Um, As you said back in the day, if you want to be a hater, then don't be a hater, but, you know, (laughs) the proof is in the pudding. Exactly, exactly. We don't want to be haters here. Strong style is great. Stipe is great. And, uh, again, glad you promoted that September 21st at uh, the Euclid Sports Plant. Get to see some more great MMA fighting. Uh, Get to see uh, Diggs putting on the old uh, monkey suit uh, to uh, get in there and uh, do the ring announcing. (laughs) So that is always a plus. You've always got some great outfits, my man. Your sartorial chops, I'm sure, will be as strong as ever. So look forward to seeing that. Thank you so much for being here today, my man. And thank you, everybody, for checking out FDH Lounge Mini Episode number. 1133. As we bring the show to a close, we would like to extend our deepest gratitude to NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, All Clear Channel Affiliates, TNT, TBS, USA, UPN, Deadspin.com, YouTube.com, YTMND.com, MySpace.com, various blogs, Fox News, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, IamBoard.com, Billboard.com, Google.com, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPN Classic, NBA TV, NFL Network, Sports Time Ohio, Athlon Magazine, Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, The Boomerang Channel, QVC, BET, The Spice Channel, Steno Notebooks, Manwich, Papermate Office Supplies, Waitresses, Strippers, Bartenders, Garbage Men, Janitors, Microwave Popcorn, The Writers of The Office, Scrubs, Entourage, My Name is Earl, Oz, Metalocalypse and the Boondocks, Aquafina, and The Periodic Table of Elements. 